0: This is the Conscious Economics Podcast. Your co-hosts are two women who found themselves in careers on Bay Street, but decided that there was something missing. So, here we are. I'm Rhiannon Rosalind. I'm your co-host and the CEO of the Economic Club of Canada. I'm also the co-founder of Conscious Economics.
1: Hi, I'm Asil, the CEO of Conscious Economics and a financial therapist.
0: Now, we call ourselves economic healers, and that is a term that I'm sure nobody has heard before, but we really believe that if we want to heal our systems and create a more equitable society, it starts with actually healing our relationship with money
1: and the economy. When you join us on this podcast, you'll be exposed to courageous conversations that help us examine, heal, and redefine the relationship we have with money. Join us on this journey as we co-create a new economy together.
0: Hi everyone, this is the Conscious Economics Podcast. I'm your host Rhiannon and...
1: I'm Astiel, and we are in the month of July. So July 1st for those living in Canada is Canada Day and it's very timely for us to talk about colonization and decolonization.
0: Absolutely. I think it's such an important topic. I think it's something that many people still feel like they don't understand their part or their role or how they can contribute to the act of decolonizing. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about this Mm. um, and really kind of explore the roots of our economic framework. Um, I'd be
1: the first to admit that only recently I started learning about these frameworks and more so because you cannot simply study the topic of money without understanding how the broader picture and our history and our trauma really contributes to the behaviors we have with money. So that's why this topic is very important because when people go to school to study financial literacy, they're missing so many layers and steps before numbers even start to make sense. And colonization is absolutely a mandatory step to understand and this topic is yeah,
0: all about 100%. that. 100%, So if we root back to you know the beginning of our Current capitalist system, we can root it back into this process of colonization, this process of people coming and settling onto land that Mm. isn't theirs and then putting and placing power and control over the people that are indigenous to that land. Um, And all of this has an economic agenda behind it. And so again, when we look at how, how we came to be here, so even for myself as a settler here, how my family came to be here on this land and the process of that is something that I have to learn I have to unpack, I have to acknowledge, there are many privileges that I am afforded because I am a white settler woman. And these are the things that we need to sort of unpack if we want true economic equity, if we want true reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation cannot happen without economic reconciliation. And so understanding the roots of, of these systems is incredibly important, mm-hmm. albeit Difficult, difficult to hear and understand. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. But again, when we come back to it, avoiding those things and just ignoring them makes it worse. Mm -hmm. It's better for us to look, understand our history, acknowledge our difficult histories, and then begin to try and figure out how we can build a new framework
1: what's interesting about what you just said is the word history because i have a chart right here to show you that was actually uh brought from forbes and it's uh, the source of it was prosperity now an institute for policy study and it's showing the racial wealth inequity uh in the u.s and from the years of 1983 to 2024 so technically That's future yeah, uh, because we're in 2021 as we're recording this podcast. And if I show you here and I'm going to like try to, actually, since it's a podcast, let's just try to explain it uh, by words. But even visually, it's very striking to see the wealth gap between the white, the black and the latinos in the us. So, I'm just going to take an arbitrary year. Well, let's start from the 1983. The average wealth for the white family was $102,000 approximately, while it's it was 6,000 for the black and 4,000 for the latino. Just just hear these numbers out. Numbers speak for themselves. In 2024, I mean, this is not history right now. This is future. The average wealth for the white family is $122,000, where it's almost 1500 for both Black and Latinos. Average, to give it more exact numbers, 1600 for the Latinos and 1200 for the Blacks. So the fact that this is, it got worse through the years. This is so confusing to me. Like this whole
0: thing is confusing to look at. Like I don't, uh, this is, this is shocking.
1: It is shocking because you think that we've been talking about these things for a while as a society, bringing uh, highlighting how uh, racial uh, economic inequality exists and there's different systemic barriers existing. You would think that there's measures that's been implemented to decrease these gaps, to help people participate in, in economic inclusion, but the numbers actually don't really reflect that. And that's what's shocking. It's like... This is just history repeating itself. That's what I
0: mean. Like what's shocking about it is not that these incredible inequities exist. I'm I'm very deeply aware of that. But what's shocking is that we're looking at future projections and those future projections are actually coming up worse. Yeah, it just, it doesn't feel good. That's for sure.
1: So before we get into what we can do about this and how decolonization can look like for everybody, because it is a responsibility that we all hold. I wanted to ask you, because you were born and raised in Canada, I'm an immigrant to Canada. So as a person who was born and raised in this country, what does the word colonialism mean to you? And how did it grow up? Even I, I know that there was a lack of education around these topics in school, which is in itself a very shameful thing yeah. that we tried to hide it and pretend that it didn't exist. Uh, but how did it influence you? And when did it become a theme in your life that you started paying attention to?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, growing up in you know the public school system here in Canada, we were really truly not taught the true history of how we really came to be. It was mm. all very much, you know, made to feel very old and ancient black and white history books talking about, oh, like, you know, new people coming over to, you know, establish a fur trade. And, and like, it was done in such a way that it sounded like it was almost a friendly endeavor. Um, And so I remember... A, just feeling very disconnected to this teaching um, and to this history. And that is something that I think we need to understand when we think of all the ways that um, indigenous people and colonization works is, The historicization of indigenous people, this idea or this sense that any of the issues or the problem are like old or in the past and always connecting or trying to make it seem that way. Even though the last of the residential schools shut down in only 1996, it's always spoken about like it's this old ancient piece. So for me, I didn't really even hear or understand the term colonization that I can remember until in university. And I then was choosing to pursue courses and study in trying to understand more deeply colonization, postcolonial theory, starting to get more deep into understanding how indigenous cultures were, you know, uh, victim to this colonization process and the way and the structure of the economic and power and privilege that's all associated with that act. And Again, colonization is a process that hasn't just happened in Canada, but all around the world. And it's something that I think, again, we need to sort of be able to understand that history and also understand that the modern way forward is understanding that Indigenous people are futurists. Indigenous people are always, you know, looking forward seven generations Forward and making their plans based on that. So like very much futurist, but always perceived and placed in this historical context. So for me, colonization became something that I was very drawn to. And then as I started my work at the Economic Club and started to really ask myself deeper questions around our economic system and, and how it has all been built and upheld, I began to do more work with indigenous communities across Canada and just went through my own process of learning and unpacking this. So one thing that I've learned in listening to scholars and and indigenous leaders teach about this is that decolonization is not the work for indigenous people. It's truly the work for settlers and work for all of us in order to kind of pull these frameworks apart. Um, And the process of indigenizing, that's the work for indigenous people not for us but the decolonization process is work for all of us and we all have a role to play in it
1: what's interesting about what you said and something i always admire about you and i honor this trait in you a lot is how much you had to go out of your way to create these opportunities for your life to learn to educate yourself, to see where you can hold that responsibility and do something about it, because it's so easy in the society that we live in. Especially, we're both living in Toronto, a city that we we rarely interact with Indigenous people. If I I barely interact with them, it's just the reality. It's very easy to pretend this that there's no such thing as uh, injustices happening in our society because we're it's not literally in our face all the time recently though in the news there have been a lot of talks about uh the very traumatic events that have been happening uncovering the the bodies of the children across you know the bc and manitoba and it's only when we hear headlines like this that this issue becomes in our face again but then it sort of dissipates and we forget about it until the next headline which is unfortunate because this is the continuous perpetuating issue and it reminds me of this fable where this little boy goes to his mother and he says, mom, there's this little monster sitting on my bed. And like the monster is like the size of a cat. And his mother said, don't be silly. Like there's no such thing as monsters. So the monster starts growing. And he's like, mom, like there's a monster in our house. He's the size of a horse. And she's like, don't be silly. There's no such thing as monsters. And every single time the mother continues to deny the existence of this monster, the monster grows bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where he like uplifted the whole house and is now some like a a dragon in the sky and only when the father came back home uh, he had to like climb on the shoulders of this monster so he actually acknowledged that there's a monster in this house that the monster finally disappeared and the reason this fable is interesting for me to reflect on as we talk about colonization because it feels as if colonization was this monster we didn't want to acknowledge exist and the more we we refuse to look at that reality and understand it, the more it somehow grows worse, which is why these racial wealth gaps that I was referring to earlier continue to perpetuate negatively to the future.
0: Well, and I think what people don't understand too, because I've heard a lot of folks say that, and again, this comes to that historicization piece that I said, because there's a lot of people who feel like, oh, what why are we still talking about these things? Like this is old ancient history. We need to move on. And it's like intergenerational trauma is a very real thing. And we are seeing the impact directly right now. I mean, there are still survivors alive right now of our residential school system. Mm -hmm. And then the intergenerational trauma that exists of having that kind of terror, that kind of genocide all the pieces that go with that and how that shows up in generations to come and again it's these systems of oppression are are so much deeper and so much more intricate (laughs) then then we then we recognize so let's talk a little bit about what decolonization looks like. absolutely because nikki sanchez who's an incredible leader in this space an indigenous leader out of bc um who runs an organization dedicated to speaking about decolonization um has some really cool points around how we can decolonize so what i had the privilege
1: of as you know I, i did a certificate called the trauma of money and i absolutely love the founder Chantal. Uh, who started the certification and Nikki was one of the guest speakers and teachers in that program so when I walked away with these tools I I couldn't wait to share them because as a person who is deeply not only interested in learning about history and how it impacts our present and and will potentially impact our future but also I always ask myself what can I do about it like this is always the follow-up question in my head so these are tips for anybody interested in the fact that you have a responsibility this we're not just sharing knowledge knowledge is only power if you do something about it Um, so that's what we're doing here so the first thing she said which is really really interesting to me and I'll tell you why she said decolonization looks like living without paralyzing guilt or shame of your identity and the social identity you have inherited Mm -hmm. how does that make you feel when you read it Yeah, I mean, that that runs really deep because I think, and and this is
0: for all of us to be able to feel that. And depending on who you are, there's a different lens to look at it. But I know the incredible guilt and shame that I have felt yes. about thinking about the history of my ancestors mm-hmm. and how they contributed to yes. this genocide um, and it it, it is it, it that guilt and shame can be an excuse for many people to not go deeper into the work it's like it stops right there because there's this paralyzing guilt but just being paralyzed by the guilt and shame and not doing anything about it doesn't relieve the the yeah. issue. It's like we have to move past that yes. and start to bravely as a new generation go forward and, and really command within ourselves that we learn and understand and uh, another way to decolonize is to understand like how did you get to this land yeah who and what contributed to you being here what land do you occupy and who does it belong to who did it belong to what were what's the story of your ancestors
1: um and yeah, yeah. if you go on our website actually you can't even access the website and, and and start looking into who we are and what we do before you have to acknowledge that you're a settler and to kind of just take a moment to reflect on the land that you live and work in. But the reason this is also interesting for me, because I was having a conversation with my partner about it. And my partner always has really interesting views. And I I absolutely admire him in so many ways. Um, And what he was saying when I was sharing this specific tip with him about the paralyzing guilt and shame that honestly, a lot of people are crippled by, especially like people with privilege, white privilege and whatnot. And he said that it doesn't serve anybody when you're crippled with that shame and guilt. You shouldn't necessarily feel the responsibility uh, to take something on coming from that space of shame and guilt, you should you should feel it because it's your responsibility. From a space of inspiration, and and we're born to serve and we're born to be there for for the community for what it is, not just an individualist, not lead individualistic lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we're crippled from shame and guilt, that's not helping anybody either. So he was making the argument that a lot of people uh, are now putting a lot of shame and guilt on white individuals to take responsibility for things that they didn't necessarily create. It's their ancestors that did. And that's just creating a different type of problem. And it was an interesting perspective. I mean, I'm still sitting and trying to process it uh, because it's it's a bit out of the norm of what you hear but I thought it was an interesting comment because it's almost like if we continue to do that then would the tables be turned at one point like I, I don't know where that would lead us but it's
0: it I think that the interesting piece about guilt and shame is not that we necessarily contributed to the creation of it but we absolutely uphold it and we continue to perpetuate it and one of the biggest pieces of the work I think for for all of us and I'll just put it in like a personal tense for me is I constantly ask myself where am I still upholding these values and belief systems of that colonial white supremacist and I do like it's in every day ingrained because it has been indoctrinated and ingrained it's everything to do with the way that we think about currency to the way that we other people to the way that we invisibilize certain groups um it's you know it's all of those pieces and unfortunately it always feels like it's an outside job or this collective job but really if we each personally took responsibility for where we are holding these values and beliefs and understanding that it isn't yeah it's not our responsibility for what happened in the past but it's our responsibility now to be able to reframe and um and relook at that so yeah this is
1: actually very tied in with the next tip that decolonization looks like giving up social and economical power and privilege that directly disempower and like you said invisibilize others plus it also looks like dismantling patriarchy and it's interesting that you said what uh just the last piece there that even though what happened to what happened to us in the past is not our responsibility um the healing and the future of what we do from this point onwards especially when we become educated it absolutely is 100 percent
0: and i think another way that we can think about decolonization is actually being able to acknowledge the planet and the well-being of the planet as a a very critical piece to the process um not extracting and destroying the planet in in the name of wealth and power um these are all these are all ways that we just we we dismantle that system and we decolonize
1: so the last piece I'd leave you with and really this goes back to what I think my partner was trying to communicate to me uh, is that decolonization looks like celebrating who we are and connecting the unique knowledge that we each bring to work together and solve global challenges collectively and I think this is really what he was trying to tell me because when you're crippled with the shame and the guilt you forget that your identity is also to be celebrated like when you want to honor the other and the difference that the other brings to you it does not mean putting your own lineage down it does not mean disowning who you are just because who you are created like the identity and the privilege that you carry creates creates all these complexities that we're currently talking about and dealing with. So it's important that we each own the difference that we bring to the table, whether you're a white person, whether you're like me, a Middle Eastern Muslim woman, indigenous person, Latino, like we all have very interesting cultures. And it's really in coming together and owning these cultures that we can truly create a co-creation of this world that we all want to belong to.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I will just sort of end on on that statement that we are not indigenous and we are, you know, speaking from one lens right now as we speak mm-hmm. about this. So I'm constantly trying to continue to educate myself. I know you are as well. It's something that we want to have a lifelong commitment to and to really ensure that when we talk about building this conscious economy, that is a decolonized economy and, that this is something that we want to actively pursue. And the last piece that I always this is my own sort of personal take, but when I think about the act of globalization, I think we got that wrong in in so many ways. There's so much that we've done in, you know, in order to again uphold this sort of white patriarchal framework and being, you know, taking resources and labor from other places around the world to support this kind of Western capitalist model. But one thing when I think about what would a true act of unity of globalization look like to me, and that would be to honor all of the unique knowledge that is all around the world and actually be able to like if each of us came together, each culture holds like one piece of the puzzle to building this really beautiful mosaic of something that is whole that is connected that is all rooted back into Mm -hmm. that oneness and that unity consciousness and so I hope and pray for the time when whether it's, you know, my children or the generations to come can actually extract that beauty and value as opposed to suppressive yes, and, and taking from others in order to uplift someone else and instead actually being able to work together and take those most beautiful, you know, knowledge and privilege and, and turn that into that one sort of global unified. Absolutely. Um, Yeah.
1: So for all the listeners, these are big topics we're talking about here, and there's only so much we can cover in a 20, 25 minute episode. So we do encourage you to just really join the conversation in whichever way it means for you, whether you're bringing it up in your next social setting or you're just spending some time on your own to reflect on these topics and conversations that we bring up. And also, so visit our website at ConsciousEconomics.ca and become a member of this economic healing journey that we are co-creating together because it is a journey that is truly something that we all play a responsibility And Even though our healing journey is unique and personal to us, there is a collective piece to it that community brings uh, as, as well. Uh, healing does happen in sharing circles and we're here to just plant the seeds on that journey for you
0: yeah thank you so much for listening everyone and we'll see you again next week with the next conscious economics podcast take care this podcast is brought to you by rbc investees if you've been listening to the conscious economics podcast and you're ready to heal your relationship with money and start an investment portfolio rbc investees may be the perfect place for you if you're just getting started Not only is RBC Investee's platform easy to use and requires very little to get started, you can start with as little as $100 and actually rely on the incredible technology and expertise of the RBC Investee's portfolio managers to ensure that you are having a product that is helping you grow your savings and investments without all the heavy lifting and confusing aspects that can be so daunting
1: and quite frankly can
0: make people feel like they don't want to do it at all.
1: RBC Investees is giving us a promo code for all the Conscious Economics listeners that waives their management fees for the first year. To take advantage of this offer, visit rbcinvestees.com and use promo code AA245 before July 31st to take advantage of this offer.